just made me laugh a lot. (laughs) 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 Just a minute, I'm going to have to pull myself together. My son's even come out and come downstairs. My 16 year old's just run downstairs to check I'm okay. I'm fine, lad. I'm fine. Welcome to What the Midwife Said, the podcast that's all about how babies and families are made. My name is Leah Hazard. I'm a mother, author of the best-selling memoir, Hard Pushed, and I am the midwife, in case you were wondering. In this series, I'm having honest conversations with some incredible guests, taking a deep dive headfirst into their experiences of fertility, pregnancy, birth, and parenting. That sheer... (laughs) being in your mind and in your body and in a horrible place and then once one second it's just done yeah and right before it's done you really want to poo yourself as well <laughs> yeah, you do. it's so grim it sounds like 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 a version of wonder woman lightning crotch i quite like the idea of that perhaps that's my alter ego oh i'm so ready i'm gonna be a woman i'm gonna have a baby <laughs> and jamie's like calm down i'm like no but i'm ready my mummy said to me when i said no she went look Lol, if they are offering you this, it means I think you're going to live and it means I think you've got a future. Yeah, you think, how am I going to squeeze out a whole (laughs) other organism from that small place? The first time round, it was, I was saying to the midwife, hey, I feel like I need to push, I need to push, something's just, you know, and Mm. it was a lot of, no, don't push, you're going to reverse everything, stop pushing, stop, literally shouting at me. I was ready to give up and her just saying, you know, you can do it, girl, I believe in you, for all the confidence, all the power, all the strength. We're exploring the way we see our bodies and our relationships, the choices we make as we build our families, and the highs and lows that those choices can bring. No judgment, no shame, just what the midwife said. And I want you to join the conversation. If you have any questions or you'd like to share your experiences, you can find me on social media at Leah Hazard on Instagram or at Hazard underscore Leah on Twitter. Just include the hashtag what the midwife said. Today's guest was launched into the public eye with a very special viral video on YouTube in 2013. Over 9 million people have now watched Reverend Kate Botley officiate a wedding and then join in a flash mob dance to Cool in the Gang's celebration. Since then, Reverend Kate has featured on Gogglebox and she's become a much-loved presence across television and radio, presenting Good Morning Sunday, Songs of Praise, Pause for Thought and Prayer for the Day. There was a moment in my head where I just went, I don't think I can do this. I think this is going to, I think it's going to break me and I think I'm not going to be very well. And I was so scared. I was so Mm. scared. I've walked out onto stage in front of thousands of people. I've, you know, I've done all sorts of crazy stuff. And my thing before I do anything scary is... You've grown two humans in your body. Nothing scarier than that. So today, for one day only, a Jewish atheist midwife and a lady vicar from Sheffield walk into a podcast. Reverend Kate Botley, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Morning, gorgeous. You are right. Yeah, I'm all right. Thank yeah, you. Good. We were just saying um, before we came on air how glad we are that there's no camera on this recording. We can't see each other because I am uh, sitting here in my pyjamas and a very old, disgusting hoodie um, because, well, my excuse is I'm only just up and I'm actually going back to bed after this because I am starting a set of night shifts. Um, Bless you. 
Oh, thank you. But I think I'm actually so excited to speak to you. I may not sleep. <laughs> That's kind. I'm I'm also in pajama bottoms and big fluffy socks and a jumper because I've been for a swim this morning in the river, and it was really cold this morning. So it was about it was under one degree the air temperature, and the water was about five degrees this morning. So I'm still a little bit chilly in my core. So I'm just warming up really slowly. Oh my goodness. So all your internal organs are still sort of retracted yeah. in fear yeah. inside your body right now. Yeah, there's that wonderful moment where you get into the cold. I can be candid, can't I? I think I think we can be Things candid do. on a podcast about, that, about about what we're talking about. When you get into the water, there's a moment when the cold hits your foof, as we like to put it. It's your delicate bits and everything, ret- everything retreats. Everything just goes back inside. So the thing that happens with, with men when they're getting cold water is their testicles go back up. And for women, it, you know, that that those that, that labia just goes straight back in <laughs> I like, let's just get gynecolo- gynecological straight, yeah, straight away, away. <laughs> yeah, can't even say it yeah I like the idea of um foof shock and I'm gonna just go ahead in that vein and share some terms which I should add I did not invent but they're some of my favorites so we've got um fanny daggers which <laughs> is when uh you have sort of you know referred nerve pain from your pelvis you're pregnant everything's nippy and then there's lightning crotch uh which never experienced myself but I'm told that it's when the baby is sitting or bouncing on your cervix and you get it this sounds kind of like a superhero out. name lightning crotch doesn't it it sounds like you should have a cape and pants on, uh, pants on over your tights I am lightning crotch I'm <laughs> under you know it sounds like 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 a version of Wonder Woman lightning crotch I quite like the idea of that perhaps that's my alter ego I do like that. Well, we could be a double act because I'm already midwife hazard, which is not great. Um, and so we've got midwife hazard and lightning crotch. So we're a winner. That's it. That's it. If any PRs are listening now, you're on to a winner. <laughs> we'll pitch it. We'll pitch it. It'll be great. Definitely. Anyway, on a more serious note, uh, if we can even attempt that, uh, how are you? Because I can imagine that this has been an incredibly challenging year for you because not only will the general public have huge emotional and spiritual needs during the pandemic but you are also the mother of two children is that right I am the mother of two well not so much children anymore 19 and 16 mine um, which sounds crazy to be the parent of teenagers and what I'm learning is that I'd thought about you know when we when we decided to start a family I'd thought about um what it might be like to be the mum of a baby and I thought what it might be like to be the mum of a toddler I'd not thought what it might be like to be the mum of an adult And Mm. so I'm going into a new phase in my parenting where I'm trying to figure out how you parent grown-ups. And and basically what I'm learning is that you just don't. You sort of back off. (laughs) That's really hard. It's It's really really hard to just see them make those mistakes and see them, you know, do all the things that you you sort of did. And you kind of just have to let them do it. And, And that's a whole new chapter that I'd not really considered. I thought I'll get them to 18, I'll get them out of school and all that sort of stuff. I've got, yeah, so Arthur's not quite there yet, but Ruby's 19, she's off at uni. Mm-hmm. And so to step back from that and to just go, okay, off you go. You know, so a moment, the chat is all about Christmas and will she be able to come over Christmas and all that sort of stuff. And well, of course, we're in she- exactly the same boat because yeah. my girls are 14 and 17, but I- the 17 year old is just started first year at uni. She's a bit young for her year. Uh-huh. So yeah, so it's all the same stuff about will they be able to come home? Are you allowed to go see them? Um, so you get these phone calls, don't you, about, ah, this is happening and I'm having a breakdown and there's so much work, but there's nothing, like you say, you just have to sit back and kind yeah. of 
And of course, Ruby's, Ruby's saying things like, well, I'll just stay here for Christmas Day. And I'm having to really fight hard to not go, but I, I'm having to, having to fight hard not to be the needy one in that and to let mm. her just do whatever she thinks is the right thing to do in these circumstances. And, you know, and to say, we, we'd really like to see you. We really want you to come home. But if, if you want to stay there, then that's fine too. You know, and just not to put any additional pressure on them as grown-ups when, you know, none of us need anything extra on our plates at the moment, do we? No. Definitely. I mean, what's a typical day like for you nowadays? What's what's on your plate at the minute? Oh, well, from- there's, there's no typical day, really. Um, You know, there never is for Vickers. We we sort of do crazy things. So we can go from one minute doing school assembly to the next minute, you know, burying somebody to the next minute for me being on radio or on TV or, you know, it's a really mixed bag. The no two days are the same, but I'm doing lots of stuff in, in parish. So I'm like a supply vicar these days. I don't look, I actually look after my own church building anymore. So I get to, um, I get to show up, show off and ship out is what I like to say. Um, so I get to do the nice bits. I get to do the weddings, the christenings, the funerals that, w- which so we have been able to do some, but not lots, um, lots of funerals, lots of, um, that sort of stuff at the moment. Of course, I've got two this week, but then uh, filming, you know, so I, I filmed a quiz show for Christmas last week and I do my radio two show on a Sunday morning, at six well nine, which I love doing filming songs of praise, that sort of thing. So yeah, just kind of just, it's a bit like parenting really just stumbling from one thing to the next and trying to make the best of it. Yeah, I guess that's what everybody's doing just now, isn't it? You don't yeah. want to take it one day at a time because I mean, God only knows what's coming around Absolutely. the corner. Absolutely. You know, one of the one of the things at our wedding and when the kids were christened we had was a, a lovely verse that talks about try not to worry about tomorrow because tomorrow has enough worries of its own. And that's not about like pretending stuff ain't going to happen. It's just about going, look, you've got enough on. You've got enough mm-hmm. on. Just mm-hmm. do what you can today. And we'll worry about tomorrow, tomorrow, you know, and it, it, it's been a real sort of touchstone, that kind of thought that I've come back to time and time again. Just let's just, you know, sufficient unto the day. Let's just try and try and get through today and we'll see what tomorrow happens. Mm. And do you find that in times like this, that your faith is really helpful in kind of dealing with that day to day or or is it the opposite and that <laughs> events like this really challenge your faith? And that you're like, I love that you phrase it like there? that. I love that you phrase it like that because so many people think because I've got a collar around my neck and because I've got a faith, I've got it all sewn up. It's like, oh, well, you're all right because, you know, and actually sometimes my faith is a real, it's a burden actually because, you you know, people look to you for the answers or people suspect you, 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 you're always at one with yourself and, you know, you and I, I'm flailing like anybody else, you know. Actually, often faith throws up more questions than it does answers and I don't know why terrible things happen I've got not a clue um and I'm just as cross and just as upset and just as you know lonely and isolated and have all those feelings just the same we've we've taken to having a rotor in our house for who's having a cry you know so if you if you walk in the room and someone's having a wobble we go it's not your turn today your turn's not till tomorrow afternoon you're scheduled right. in at three o'clock tomorrow for your cry you know oh, jokingly gosh, so when obviously you're next time, <laughs> I've, already had, I've had okay. one this morning I had one in the river this morning as I was swimming I had my cry but no oh, I'm just we're just teasing but it's it's about you know it's about trying to figure out what it means to be a human being in all this trying to figure out how we do the best that we can while being as kind as we can not only to other people but also to ourselves and I think sometimes we're the last person on the list aren't we that we think about being kind to so um you know I I I do think that's a really important thing you know the the whole love your neighbor as you love yourself well the love yourself comes in there first and that's not selfishness it's self-preservation 
Absolutely. And do you think as women, not to paint a sort of hugely mm. broad brush stereotype, do you think we're quite bad at that sometimes? Of I, think, I think we are. Um, I think as human beings, we're bad at it. But I think definitely, you know, there's a, a patriarchal narrative in there that encourages women to think less of themselves um, and that we're not never quite good enough. And who do we think we are? Um, and I think that that, you know, patriarchy, patriarchy makes a fool not only of women it makes a fool of men as well so we're all victims of it and reframing that um and you know talking yourself into stuff I do I mean I do that all the time I was doing that with the tech this morning when I was trying to get it working I was going come on Kate you're a confident capable articulate woman you can do this you've totally got it and certainly you know when I was having the kids my birth experiences I felt really de-skilled in a lot of that you know because I was only I was only young I was only in my mid-20s um and I still didn't really know myself very well and so I was fighting against a lot of my own internal dialogue which was you do not know what you're doing and you are incapable of this. Um, and those voices were very loud and continue to be. I mean, I think we all struggle from imposter mm-hmm. syndrome. Um, yes. but I think there is a particular flavor to that as as women and as mums, you know, yes. because yeah. we, we feel like we've got these lives in our hands that we're shaping and molding. And that, you know, for one reason or another, it does fall to the mums. And uh, we sort of are floundering a bit and going, yeah, but I don't know what I'm doing. And of course, the secret is nobody does. It's okay. So true. I definitely don't. I no, definitely goodness don't. Me. Yeah, I think we're all just kind of winging it, really, aren't we? And it's really interesting. I mean, it's hideously sad, but it's really interesting that you had that voice of that inner critic in your head, even as you were about to do the most amazing, some would say, holy, spiritual, wonderful yeah. thing. Oh, it was awful. In, you know, it was making it was another awful. human. Yeah. yeah. And, and the pregnancy was great you know I really enjoyed my pregnancy I had a great time uh, pregnancy happened relatively straightforwardly for us you know um, and we were very grateful for that shocked and surprised but very grateful but the birth was just I was hopeless at it I was hopeless at it and I still can't talk about my birth experience in a positive way and of course what happens is when you have a an awful birth experience is um, people go yeah but you've got a baby now so it's all all right, isn't it? And actually, isn't all right, even though I had two mm. beautiful, healthy children, I'm still not okay with my birth experience. Yeah, it's not okay. And I was really moved and surprised by that when I was reading about your comments on childbirth in um, this book, Three Vicars Talking, mm. which I've just finished and really enjoyed oh, a God. transcript of your conversations with um, Giles Fraser and Richard Coles. And Obviously, I was having a flick through it. I knew that one of the sections in the book would be about birth, along with things about sort of death and Christmas and Easter and the big sort of transitions in our lives. And I thought, oh, Kate's going to have something really spiritual and deep to say about childbirth. (laughs) And actually, (laughs) and I quote, you said, it's horrid. It's horrid. So I'm so sorry you had such a negative experience. And it's so sad but I think you're not alone in this that you are kind of placing the blame on yourself and saying you're kind of rubbish at it so what I mean could, can you elaborate yeah, on what I went wrong I'd be delighted to I would be delighted to so um a, a quite a straightforward birth uh, a, sorry quite a straightforward pregnancy um but of course the whispers start coming in fairly on of what size feet have you got and I'm only a size four feet and so there's all that thing about hips and how big your hips are going to be and whether I was going to be able to have a natural birth and all that sort of kind of thing and I set myself up for a fall really if I'm honest you know I I sort of um 
I read, being the nice middle class girl that I am these days, you know, born working class, but very solidly middle class these days and hanging out with lots of other mummies that were about to have babies. I listened to a lot of stuff about whale song and uh, essential oils and TENS machines, which work for some people and more power to the people that they work for. You know, Mm -hmm. I would not judge anybody else's birth, but I was having um, a water birth at home pain with no pain relief. That's what I was having. And I was going to do that and it was going to be fine. And I ended up with an uh, emergency section um, in hospital, um, oh, induced as well. I was overdue by two weeks. I was induced. Um, and it was just it was just a lot of little things that added up to a very big thing. And my, my story was that I'd failed, that I had failed. In fact, somebody from um, one of the birthing groups that I was part of sent me a, a sort of in sympathy card after I had my baby. Um, so after I had my emergency section, they sent me a, a sort of card that just said, I'm really sorry you've been through this. And I know they meant it from a good place, but mm-hmm. it just made me, they, they just said they felt really sorry for me that I didn't have a proper birth. And I was just mm-hmm. like, oh my word. And st- even today, so when you see like adverts on telly with births on, I can't watch one born every minute. Um, it's just too painful. And whenever there are adverts on for births and they only show vaginal births, mm-hmm. I just find that really problematic. And people, you know, did you have a normal delivery? Like what language around that, that you just start going, uh, it's nobody's particular fault, but it just seems to me that the, there's a whole lot of words around it that make you feel abnormal and make you feel um, like I didn't try, you know, and that whole too posh to push and that cesareans are seen as the easy way out and all that sort of stuff. It, it's like we're, the, we're our own worst enemies, aren't we? Because mm-hmm. nobody gives you a medal when they present you with that baby. Yeah, you know, there's your baby covered yeah, in poo. I just like, ex- well done. I, I just excuse myself from birth conversations by and large because it's just too painful, really. Mm, triggering, I guess, mm. as the young people say. Yes. Yeah. And um, you're so right that language is hugely important, especially when you're already in that vulnerable place where everything everybody says to you is so meaningful and hits so deep. And then if somebody says to you things like, are you too posh or you failed to progress or... Failure um, to progress, that phrase. Oh my word. It's just the worst. And then to have that as your starting point for motherhood when you're broken into a million pieces and you have to build yourself up again. So it must have been really difficult for you. Yeah. What was better was the second time. So the second time, so what happened was with Ruby, my first, um, she was facing the wrong way and, um, you know, I was induced. I I went into hospital the night before and had, you know, the whole syntocin drips and, you know, pessaries and all that sort of stuff and nothing really happened and failure to progress and all that kind of thing. And so I ended up with, and then she passed meconium and her heart rate started dropping. So it was time to get her out. and so what happened when I got pregnant the second time, so two years later, I got pregnant with Arthur and it just brought back all these feelings of failure. Cause when, after Ruby was born, I was too busy feed it, breastfeeding her and doing the mummy thing to really engage with how traumatic this birth had been. And of course, all the language was, you, you need, well, you've got a baby now. All that matters is a healthy baby and a healthy mummy. And it's like, well, actually that wasn't all that mattered to me. I really needed to talk mm-hmm. this through. So I got pregnant with Arthur and my community midwife came around and I burst into tears on it. She went, what on earth's matter? And I said, I, I don't want, I don't want to do this. I don't, I don't want this baby. I don't, I don't want this baby to go full term because I can't do this. I am not mentally strong enough. Um, which is a shocking thing to say. And especially as someone as a person of faith, that is a shocking thing to say. A shocking thing to say out loud mm-hmm. when you've got this baby in your tummy. 
Um, so I shocked myself really. I think I shocked her a bit and she said, okay, we need to unpick this. Um, and she sent me for some counseling, um, and some reflexology, um, which Mm. was amazing. And it was just an hour a week where I had an opportunity to sit and talk about my experience. And the midwife that I spoke to was, um, cause it, it, the midwife that I was uh, spoke to got me my notes as well. She got me my notes from from Ruby and I was able to go through my notes and in my head my note said Kate Botley is a big fat failure and she did not try hard enough you know it was like my school report or something I thought that's yeah. what it was going to look like and of course it didn't say that it said here is a here is a woman who's tried her best here is a baby who's in distress that rhymes <laughs> um and um we need to move we needed to move quickly otherwise there would have been a real danger to both of them. And you did know, you and, find that quite healing in yes, a way to read that? really yeah. healing, really healing. Because it was like, oh, okay, it didn't say, um, because I remember reading my notes after the notes on the end of the bed when I drew Bay. And my, my t- I kept calling the midwife in to help me latch on and stuff. And um, I remember my notes at the end of my bed said, stomach is, stomach is large and overhanging and difficult to examine. And that just really stuck with me that I'd got this big fat Mm. tummy and I just felt awful about myself. And so to go back through those notes and see really encouraging things like, you know, mummy's doing well, dad is supportive, you know, those kind of things in there that you think, oh, actually, I'd never done it before. How was I supposed to know what it was going to really be like? Mm-hmm. Um, and so- it's not like it's a skill that you can sort of hone and get good at. You know? <laughs> I think I think that, you know, if you're the kind of person who maybe wanted to do well at school and always, you know, wanted to be a bit of a people pleaser yeah. and stuff. I've never like failed think, at anything. I've yeah, never failed uh-huh. at anything. Yeah, exactly. So you think, well, I've done all the preparation. I've listened to the whale song. Therefore, I yes. will be good at birth. Yes. And also, you know, you've got, you only ever hear the stories of the people going, well, I only had two paracetamol, four pushes and it was out. You only ever hear those stories. Mm -hmm. I'd never, because that's all I wanted to hear when I was pregnant was those stories. I didn't want to hear the person saying to me, it's really hard and difficult and not everybody has a great time of it. You know, not everybody feels completely at one with their womanhood as they're pushing out a new life or having a new life emerging from them. You know, and it was that idea that I, and also the Protestant work ethic kicked in. that I didn't work for my baby. So I didn't deserve my baby because I didn't go through any, I, I didn't feel those, that pain. I didn't dilate. I didn't, you know, I didn't get to that stage. So I cheated. Mm-hmm. I was a big cheat. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, do you think that message came to you from just from within yourself or from other kind of cues from externally from society? I think it's, and people I think it's all, and, all and the above. You know, I think there's a lot of little, tiny little things that are even just throwing, you know, like, like I was saying about the adverts on telly, you know, there's, there's an advert on, there's adverts on telly for birth and you don't see a cesarean birth in there. Mm-hmm. And you just think it never entered my head that I might not have a, no, uh, what's called a normal delivery. It never entered my head that I wouldn't yeah. just have, you know, a little bit of gas and air and that baby would be out. It just never occurred to me that I would have maximum intervention. So then when Arthur came along, I was in a lot better place. And what happened with that was I had a brilliant midwife in the room with me. So I started with contractions, went into hospital and the midwife uh, examined me and, uh, you know, the contractions kept stopping and starting and stopping and starting and we weren't getting anywhere. After about eight hours, we just weren't getting anywhere. And she looked at me, she said, Kate, it's, gonna, it's probably going to go the same way that it did with Ruby. What do you want to do? And I said, I don't want to be in the state I was 
when we went for an emergency section with Rue. So what do you think? And we had this chat and she just went, if you want me to push for a section at this stage for you, I will. Just tell me what you want and I will I will be your I will be your advocate. I will be your I will, you know, talk this through with the people that need it. And that's what she did. And I said, right, let's go for it then. If you're telling me that you think this is going to go the same way, I trust you. Um and we need to advocate for this now. And that's what she did. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so I had a I had another well, half and half emergency section, if you like. It wasn't what I was att- intending. Um, yeah. You know, even words like trial by labour. You know, it's like... I know. It's a awful, bit scary, isn't it? Isn't it? it makes awful. you think of judge and jury kind of exactly. sitting there watching you. Exactly. Yeah, and yet these are these are the terms that we use for lack of something yeah. better or more empowering. Yeah. And uh, it's difficult as somebody within that system to, to use that of course. framework. Uh, but, but what yeah. made the difference, and you'll know this from your work, what made the difference was another human being, another woman, making the eye contact with me and going, what do you want? And me going, okay, this is what I want to happen. And so after I'd Arthur by, by a, a section again, I was I was so much better with it. I was, I was able to enjoy my baby more. I was able to recover quicker. Mentally, I was more secure because I felt heard and connected with. And I didn't feel like I'd let anyone down. I didn't feel mm-hmm. like a disappointment. Um, oh, gosh, you might cry. I didn't feel like I'd let anyone down. And I felt like I deserved my baby. Whereas with Ruby, it was, it was really, it was really tricky. It was, it, it, I, it's still not okay. It, but it's it's better than it was but it, I think mm. it will be something that I will always it will be a scar like my cesarean scar it will be a scar that I always have with me um but it does give me a, it does give me an empathy for other yeah. moms that have sections you know it will I, give you a huge amount of empathy I'm sure for women in all different situations I mean even what you were saying before about being so distressed in your second pregnancy that you considered not continuing with it yeah. um it's like you say I think something some people on the surface will find surprising coming from somebody yeah. like yourself yeah. but at the same time I secretly I think it's something that so many women can well, we don't say or struggle out loud, with anyway. we yeah. don't say that mm-hmm. stuff out loud you know and I'm not saying I would have but what I'm saying is there was there was a moment in my head where I just went I don't think I can do this I think this is gonna I think it's gonna break me and I think I'm not gonna be very well and I was so scared I was so mm-hmm. scared mm-hmm. that it, that moment entered my head and we're not supposed to, I certainly as a person of faith we're not supposed to think like that you know I'm not supposed to think like that am I but actually that's how that's what I was thinking because I was broken and yeah. I was struggling and it was hard um, and that's just human that's just uh, human vulnerability absolutely. Uh-huh. and I am no more you know I don't have a magic I don't have a magic wand to make everything better all the time and so to sit in that darkness to sit in that tricky place of just being so scared and so frightened of everything um and thinking that this might might result in me not being very well um mm. was was really tricky really mm-hmm. tricky <laughs> yeah and even now it clearly has a, a huge effect on you and yes and understandably so I mean do you feel so what 19 years after that first birth do you feel that there's anything anyone could say or anything that could happen that would make it okay or do you just think it's something that you'll have to sort of carry with you and work through over your life it's like one of those things that you know when you I'm quite glad I've got it because uh, you know those 
those things sort of, you know, I don't want to do that whole, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger and all that. Because, you know, suffering does have its, suffering and struggle does have its place. But I think it's only once you've reframed it a bit that you can actually think, okay, th- that was awful. And I'm not distracted. I'm not taken away from the experience that was really tricky for me. Mm-hmm. But um, there are positives to be found in it. And it, it has taught me some stuff. Um, I think... I think I, I set myself up for a fall. And I think what we quite often do is we collude with the silence, don't we, with mums, especially mums mm. that, are, you know, you, someone finds out they're pregnant and they think it's going to be different. And of course, that's what we wish for them, isn't it? That's what we pray. That's what I pray for them, that they are going to get their whale song and their aromatherapy oils and their TENS machine. And it is just mm-hmm. going to take four pushes and two paracetamol. That's what I want for them. If that's what they want, that's I want what they want. So if that's yes. what they want, then I want them to have that. But um, we also collude with the silence on it, don't we? So we don't like to tell pregnant women that it might not go to plan and that they might want to think about how that might feel. Um, So I guess what we do as a sisterhood is we just pick each other up. Mm -hmm. And I always make a point. I mean, I never never buy presents for babies anymore. I buy lasagnas and bags of salad and garlic bread and, you know, chocolate cake. And I take things like that round and I I text mums and tell them, you know, my friend Rebecca had a baby uh, 18 months ago and I text her and tell her she's doing great and she's got this and mummy solidarity and it's really hard and you know it's not all um you know you know I remember my mum looking at Rube when she was little and saying oh who could hurt him who could hurt him she would say and I was thinking I could <laughs> I could mm, you know because she really, won't stop yeah. screaming and I've got an oh my my cesarean scars burst open and my nipples are sore and I'm fed up and I had this horrible birth and I just mm-hmm. want to I just want it all to stop you know, mm-hmm. I just want mm-hmm. to crawl back into my cupboard and everyone to leave me alone. Um, and so there's, we do this whole, you know, pink frilly bows and everything's going to be all right and aren't they beautiful and they are beautiful. And of course I wouldn't hurt my baby, but I'm not saying there wasn't dark times when I just wanted it to not ha- to not be in the circumstance I was in. Does that, yeah. does that make sense? That sounds awful, Hugely. doesn't it? I'm being really candid, but... No, it makes so much <laughs> sense. It, no, it makes so much sense, not just in women that I've seen and looked after, but for myself as well. I mean, I remember, well, my eldest was born after a long labour, an emergency caesarean, so I can very much yeah. relate to that. And then I had a really difficult time breastfeeding. And I remember the community midwife coming out to visit me when she was, she was maybe seven or eight days old and I was already in bits. And I was sitting in my lovely breastfeeding rocking chair, which yes. I purchased oh, yes. at great expense. With the big cushion. With the big cushion. Oh, the big <laughs> lovely cushion. And I put it by the window and it was all meant to be so perfect. So I was sitting in the chair alone without my child, I may add. And the um, my daughter oh, was, um, she must have been in a basket or a cot or something and she was crying. And I remember the midwife must have been kind of waiting for me to say something or go to her. And then finally she kind of picked up my daughter and she brought her over to me and she said, I think you really should feed her. And I remember looking at her and saying, do I really have to? Mm. Um, And it's quite shameful, actually, and embarrassing to look back on that. I mean, I love her to absolutely. There's no question. When we say these things, when we say these things about our babies, there is no question that I don't love my children. You know, the adage, I would die for them. I would in a second and a heartbeat. But there are moments as a mom, when you've just given birth, especially where you just go, I cannot do this. Mm. I need it to stop. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 100%. And I think every woman reaches that point, even if only fleetingly, you know, when she's in the transition phase of labor and she's about to push and it's all really overwhelming. Everyone says, I can't do this. 
I'm going to split open, make it stop. I want to go home. And then, you know, for some women, it's a much more all encompassing kind of darkness and it's longer lasting and it's something that stays with you. But every single woman, I do believe, experiences that on some level. And you're right, we're, we're a little bit complicit and kind of um, muting that or not appreciating it. And I wonder if, I mean, I had all these very special questions for you about whether birth in any way was spiritual for you at all but I, <laughs> I'm maybe not gonna ask that Bless question you. <laughs> but actually actually um I wonder if that moment of darkness when you really are broken down to your base self and you're so vulnerable and you're so open to the hurt and the pain of the experience I wonder if for you is is that almost the spiritual aspect of 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 going through that fire of course because you know um in my in my faith tradition there's a a bit where you know Jesus dies on the Friday and resurrects on is the tombs discovered on the Sunday resurrects on the Sunday so what did he do on the Saturday well the, the scriptures tell us he went down to a place called Sheol, which just means emptiness and darkness. Um, and sometimes it's, it's sort of interpreted as hell, but it's a different thing. It's just, it's a nothing. It's that absolute void, that chasm of nothing. And when I was going through my birth experiences, it was so dark. It was so difficult that um, there's a real sense of passing through the waters, you know, a real kind mm-hmm. of feeling like I was going to be overwhelmed at various points um, and flailing and being lost. And so then when you come out the other side, which inevitably you do, you know, in the words of the great Scarlet O'Hara, tomorrow is another day and all that. Um, mm-hmm. When you do come out, quoting Jesus and Scarlet O'Hara in the same bit, I love that. Um, when you do out, <laughs> That's come out for you. <laughs> I know, right? When you do come out the other side, there is that massive sort of looking back at where you've been, you know, how far, how far you've come up the mountain. And, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, it's an amazing thing to grow humans. And it's become, it's become my thing. Growing humans in my body has become like my rationale. So whenever I do anything scary, so whenever, you know, I did three triathlons back to back earlier this year over three days, I've done, mm-hmm. I've walked out onto stage in front of thousands of people. I've, you know, I, I've done all sorts of crazy stuff. And my thing before I do anything scary is you've grown too humans in your body nothing scarier than that Mm -hmm. and it's become this kind of touchstone of you did it you got through that you not only survived it but you survived it well and nothing is hard nothing will ever be harder than that for me nothing Mm -hmm. will ever be harder you know Mm -hmm. so when I am in the depths again when I am in the darkness and again it's almost like oh yeah I've been here before I know what this I know I know the cut of your jib darkness you (laughs) can't have me because I've done this and I've grown humans and got them out of my body look at me right you know and so it's become this fuel almost Mm -hmm. that that and and I can always I can refer back to it I always go back to it and I'm delighted for people who for whom this does not resonate with I was sat there thinking well I had a lovely time when I gave birth and I know people that had a wonderful time and connected Uh with something much bigger than themselves and that's beautiful and brilliant and since I've been a birth partner three times for somebody I didn't tell her that I didn't want to be but I've been a birth partner Um, (laughs) that uh, is the ultimate sacrifice I I better not tell her what mine were like but um you know and, and it was lovely to be in the room and for her to have a totally different experience to mine and I celebrate that but yeah it it it's it's kind of informed a lot of things about who I am and the way I approach stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And grief, you know, and death and dying, you know, the parallels between birth and death and dying um, have been quite profound for me as well. 
Yeah, I mean, I definitely felt, I mean, I had two very different birth experiences. I was fortunate to basically just have the two hours and not even a paracetamol the second time around. But but with both experiences, and I'm cards on the table, not a religious person at all. I felt like birth was kind of one of those thin places in the universe where that kind of membrane between life and death is so thin, you can really reach out and touch it. You're so in the moment, you're so like on this cause, I mean, this sorry people the are sense probably of, just going to no, switch off now but you're on this cosmic plane of, yeah um that, that sense of something bigger than yourself in it yeah there's something absolutely. bigger than me in this yeah. universe i don't really yeah. know what it is i call it god <laughs> obviously but other people call it other things but this sense yes. of bigger than you yeah and it's a great thing to experience i think and like you say it is a touchstone it can be a touchstone if you can see it in a positive kind of enriching way it, it definitely can make you feel like i can do anything so if if women or if women who have um had children if mothers have been through this special place in the universe and recovered and returned and picked themselves up again why are we so bad at supporting them? I mean, what what do you think we should be doing differently as a community and as a society to support women through this transition? I think I think in terms of cesarean, as a cesarean mummy, um, you know, there is a thing about uh, if reframing our language in it. I'm a big big passion of uh, you know things like we because we what we do is we expect people to have had vaginal births, and so what we do is we talk about you know even in conversations with random strangers they go oh what was it like when you had yours eh oh that pushing and put you know and, and that's how we do, we do it we don't even on the TV programs on the uh, you know on films it's always it's never shown how it is I cheer when I see a cesarean birth on a TV show or on a film mm-hmm. and and the narrative is not this is a really posh person so she's had a cesarean you know. I, I go, I go, yay! It's like a <laughs> proper birth, you know. Um, not that there's such a thing as proper and improper, but um, even then, I need to frame, reframe my own language, and just to not feel sorry for people, you know, to get, uh, give give the extra support, to give the solidarity and to normalise talking about the darkness, to mm-hmm. just say, actually, this is how I felt. Because the chances are, if you felt like that, somebody else has too. You know, there, other pregnant women will have sat there and gone, I'm not sure I can do this one. I'm not sure I can deliver. I'm not sure I can take this baby to term. Um, there will be other mummies who've looked at their newborn screaming in the bed beside them and thought, mm, I just need them to stop crying. I'll just leave. I mean, I have, I don't know about you, but I've had to leave. When mine were really little, I used to have to leave the room sometimes. And oh, I'd yeah. say to Graham, you know, and I was doing it with somebody who was loving and supportive and kind, you know. So I would have to say to Graham, I need to walk out now. I need to just go outside. And he'd go, You all right? And I'd go, I am. But if I don't go and stand outside for one minute, I won't be all right. So I just mm-hmm. need to not be in the same room as them. Mm-hmm. Um, I love mm-hmm. them. Absolutely love them. There's no question of that. But you know, I remember saying to Graham, if you don't take her, I will throw her out the window. And he went, ha, ha, ha. Anyway, don't laugh. <laughs> in don't jest. Laugh. Yeah, absolutely, Kate. I mean, I've as part of my sort of life as a midwife, I've worked in all the areas, but in the postnatal ward as well, which is where the mums go with their new babies. And many a time I've stood at a bedside and said, you know, if they weren't so cute, you'd throw them out the window. Ha, 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 kind of thing. But, uh, you know, which, by the way, is not a suggestion. Don't throw anyway, out the window. But, but, but um, normalise talking true. that you want to. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we can, you know, there's there's uh, truth in humour. And I think it's a great release. And I think it's really important to acknowledge that, yeah, actually, if your baby wasn't so cute, you, you, you might have thoughts like that and I think it'll mean a lot to people to hear somebody like yourself um you know admit to having been in those dark moments yeah and I think I think we just need to keep 
we need to say it a million times, don't we, to every single mm-hmm. pregnant woman, every single uh, labouring mummy, every single new mum. You're doing great, you know. You're doing great. Look at you. You're amazing. And we just, we're frightened. It's all very, it's all very, you know, evolutionary. It's all very survivally. You know, we, we're keen into the, the the dark magic of what it means to be human. And it's just about continually drawing alongside those people who are about to have a baby, those who've just had a baby and going, you're doing great. You do, you might not believe me, but you are. Look at you breathing in and out. Look at you dressed. Look at you not dressed. Look at you, you know. <laughs> and I, I, I often, when I see mummies in the park, you know, I'll go and you do that whole, oh, how old and all that sort of stuff. I tend to not, I tend to talk about the mum more than I do the baby these days after my experiences. Mm. And I tend to, to say to the mum, look at you, you're amazing. And you, just, just that, you know, mm-hmm. look at you, mm-hmm. look at you dressed and out. Oh, you're I know. brilliant. I know. You know. I've been in my paper pants. Well done. You are dressed. You are clothed you, you as know, a human. Even yeah. if you're not clothed, you're doing, you know, so just that constant, we need to encourage each other as women anyway, but more, even a million times more for the, that solidarity of motherhood where we just go, you are amazing. Look at you. You're doing so well, you know, and so you are doing so well. Look at us breathing in and out. You know, look at us. Yeah. We, got, we got out of bed this morning. It's not I know, great? we've done it. Look, and you've been in a cold river already and I'm half dressed and I've walked my dog. So we're, but we're the we're worst, aren't we? You know, we do yeah. that competitive thing. We do it with breastfeeding. We do it with when yes. they're walking. We do it when, the, yes. how much do they weigh? We do it, we do it all the time. And it's, it's natural to want to do that, all, all that stuff because it helps us to be proud of our achievements and proud of our kids and all that sort of stuff. But it, it also needs to be tempered a little bit with reality mm. and that mm. for not everybody, not for everyone is it, you know, four pushes and a paracetamol. For some people it's really hard and difficult and that's okay too. And it's and just because you got a healthy baby out of it, it don't mean that your experience is any, any, in any way devalued. Yeah, and I think that's such an important message all the time, but especially now in this strange environment we're all living in, because mums, um, women and their families are going through that transition and that challenge more isolated and more anxious than ever. I mean, I don't know if you're seeing that sort of out yeah. and about as a supply yeah. vicar. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it, it's hidden as well. I mean, you know, I, I had a friend recently who, who miscarried and to be in those rooms without the person she loves most in the world to support her in that was just, it, it's just, it's cru- it feels cruel. It mm-hmm. feels cruel. And the the thing about the darkness, going through darkness, is that normally when you go through darkness, there's someone there to hold your hand through it. And there literally isn't for lots of people yeah. at the moment. So, you know, the antenatal appointments and the and the and those sort of things, it's just it it, it feels cruel. Um and so I think we have to f- we have to be continually be kind to ourselves and to each other cut ourselves some slack time and time again that actually we're in survival mode as a world at the moment Mm -hmm. we're in survival mode and we know a little bit about what survival mode feels like as women who've labored as women who've brought life into the world we we know that instincts kick in that you didn't even know you had you know Mm -hmm. so uh, it's about we need yeah be sitting in the darkness for a bit and knowing that the sun's going to come up tomorrow. Mm. And that's a great lesson as well for us as we move into this next phase of motherhood with big boys and girls, teenagers <laughs> and you know, adults, you know, I, I guess. The other thing is no one told me that teenagers are even better than toddlers. I mean, toddlers are just 
terrorists that you can't negotiate with as far as I'm concerned you know they, they they've got they've got no sort of you know rationales or if they want the pink cup even though it's exactly the same as the blue cup you have to give them the pink cup do you know what I mean oh, yes. it's oh yes. you know that but at least with teenagers when they're being unreasonable you can at least try and argue with them you can at least try and do some rationale um I love teenagers I absolutely it's the best stage for me between yeah, about it's interesting to hear you say that I actually feel the same way and I don't know if we're just lucky I'm sure there'll be many people listening who go this is the worst phase of parenthood <laughs> ever but um do you know did you not find when your kids were really young that people would say to you you know if you'd had a good day or they were looking all nice and well behaved they go oh just you wait until the teenage years yes. just you wait and I keep waiting I mean not to say we've had our hard times and our dark moments but I keep waiting for like like when's the really horrible yes. that's gonna start nowhere near as bad as I was expecting I, I mean yeah. toddlers They're lovely people mine didn't sleep I had two that woke every hour until they both went to school um you know I had two that I had traumatic births I had two that didn't sleep um and so you know the whole toddler thing for me was just I had biters mine were biters and nippers and pushers <laughs> oh, no. they were you know I used to see Ruby at, at church uh, and she'd hone, hone in on you know, another toddler across the room and I could see her just being drawn in by the the sort of tractor beam of just kind of like ah, and she'd just clamp onto this child with her teeth and oh, we couldn't get dear. her out. It was awful. And you know And then of course she's the vicar's child, so yeah, that's like yeah, it's even super embarrassing. I mean the yeah. excommunication is in the post. Can you imagine? I'm sure. And now <laughs> I've got someone that I can watch horror movies with and can mix me a gin and tonic. So I'm really happy. <laughs> Ideal. That you're winning at parenting, Kate. You have unlocked the final goal. Oh, we're all making it up as we go along, love. Let's hope, let's just hope we don't damage them too much. That's all we've got to hope for. Eh? And let's just, and you know, my pledge is whether Ruby decides to have children or not, or whatever she decides to do, you know, that I will be able to draw alongside her in a way that I didn't always feel that I had that support. I mean, my mum did a good job, but, you know, it was it was all about the baby. It wasn't really about me. It was all about the grandchild. Mm. It wasn't really about me. You were um, the vessel. Yes, you know, and, uh, you know, I pray that if Ruby makes that decision or if Arthur ends up um, in that in that circumstance with a partner, that I'll be able to draw alongside in a different way and that what I have learned from having such a tricky time of it is that I'll be able to be a better partner to them, a better helper to them, a better support. So normally at the end of the program, yeah. I usually ask my guests, um, because we are called What the Midwife Said, I usually ask the guest whether they can remember a specific thing that a midwife or healthcare professional has said to them that really, really stayed with them, whether it was good or bad. I feel like we've yeah. kind I, of touched on that one. already, but you one. go ahead. Yeah. So after I'd had Arthur, my second, and I was um, g just having this whole traumatic kind of trying to process this hideous cesarean birth that I'd had with Ruby, and we were going through the notes, and off the cuff, the community midwife said to me, um, you're a teacher, aren't you? And I was an RE teacher at the time in a secondary school. She went, I went, yeah, 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 I'm an RE teacher. And she went, oh, I bet you've seen some things teaching secondary school, aren't you? I said, well, you, I'd make your hair curl. And she said, I bet you can tell, I bet you can tell the kids who uh, have got not got good parents, can't you? You can tell the kids who aren't being brought up right. I said, oh, you can tell them a mile away, bless them. You know, some kids have, have had awful parenting. And she went, mm, can you tell which ones were born by cesarean? It was just a throwaway, because I thought I'd failed my babies. I uh -huh. thought I'd failed them and I thought I'd let them down and I thought I'd messed them up. 
But actually the point that she was making in a really gentle way was perhaps it's not necessarily the manner of their birth that matters completely. Mm. It does matter. That doesn't say it doesn't matter. It does. But perhaps it's actually about what you do now as a mum that is the real work. And I thought that was really interesting and it stayed with me. That has been enriching, surprising, <laughs> spiritual, filthy, visceral, raw, all the things. So thank you so much for You're your so honesty welcome. and your candor. I uh, really appreciate it. It's been an absolute pleasure. I feel like we could just chat for hours and hours yeah. and hours. Um, and shout out to my midwives, to Barbara and to Katie, my midwives that looked after me. Amazing women. Inc- incidentally, Barbara turned around to me and went, I'm your dad's cousin, halfway through when she <laughs> was doing me a sweep. <laughs> I know. Oh, thanks for that. I do. <laughs> Just small talk. Brilliant. Classic midwife chat. Wonderful. Oh, thank you so much, Kate. Um, or should I say, uh, Lightning Crotch, um, signing off from Lightning Crotch and Sister Hazard. It's been an absolute pleasure. <laughs> right, thank you for talking to me. Bless you and bless all the mummies. Yeah. Pray for you all. You're amazing. Thank you so much for tuning in to this very special episode of What the Midwife Said, hosted by me, Leah Hazard, and produced by Steve Bland of Bambi Media. I hope you enjoyed my chat with Reverend Kate as much as I did. Please get in touch if you have anything to say about our conversation, if any of the issues we've discussed have affected you, and please do remember to review and subscribe to the podcast so that other listeners can find us, share your thoughts on social media using the hashtag WhatTheMidwifeSaid, and please tune in next week.